Raise your hand if you've heard of this story of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I want to see some hands. Oh, wow, quite a few of you. That's good to know. Well, the story was written by Robert Louis Stevenson in 1886. The setting was Victorian England. The main character was this Dr. Jekyll. Jekyll. He was a reputable citizen, a man of character and good standing in London, in Soho, the west part of London. And uh, he always felt like he had this battle within him of good versus evil. He felt like for the longest time he's just been repressing the evil urges that well up inside of him. And then he comes up with an idea to create this potion that will actually transform him into a different person so that he might indulge in some of these vices and some of these evil desires. And that's exactly what he does. He creates this potion and this alter ego that he creates is uh, an Edward Hyde. He names him Edward Hyde. As Dr. Jekyll, he has friends, he's got an amiable personality, and, you know, he's got a good uh, character, um, but as Mr. Hyde, he becomes a smaller, younger, uh, mysterious, violent, impulsive, and quite frankly, evil character. As time goes on, Hyde grows in power. And the more Dr. Jekyll uses this potion, the more power Hyde assumes. So much so that eventually Hyde doesn't need the potion to come out. And Dr. Jekyll loses control of him. This finally leads Dr. Jekyll to solve the problem by taking his own life. Prevent this evil Mr. Hyde from hurting anybody else. It's one of the most popular stories in English literature, and for good reason, because it cuts right to the heart of every human, right? Of this battle of good versus evil that goes on in our own hearts. I mean, have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like Dr. Jekyll, trying to keep at bay the evil desires within you? You kind of feel like there is this beast inside you that just can't wait to, to come to the surface, to come out. If you answer no to these questions, you're, you're lying. Or at best, you're delusional. Because God's word says that, yes, you indeed struggle with this. You indeed struggle with the sin right below the surface all the time. This battle against the flesh and its evil desires. Even St. Paul struggle with this. He says in our text today, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Can't you hear the Dr. and Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde dilemma going on here in Paul? And he's a saint for crying out loud, right? What hope do we have, right? you know? Well, yeah, he struggled with it. He was called to a very special ministry. He was taken from killing Christians in his former life and set apart as God's servant, a missionary to the Gentiles. He was baptized. He believed in Christ. He had new life by the power of the Holy Spirit and zeal for the Lord. And yet, 
he struggled with sin daily. Martin Luther coined a phrase in Latin, it's simul justus et peccator. In English, it means simultaneously justified or a saint and a sinner. And he uses this phrase to kind of describe the life of the believer. That at any point in time, we are both a saint and a sinner. Both justified and redeemed by Christ, renewed, baptized, a child of God, an heir to the inheritance of heaven, and a sinner, broken, messed up, and a victim of the, of the sin that infests us daily. It's both and. It's a paradox, right? We're both a saint and a sinner. And this is a really hard thing for, for newer Christians to understand. They're like, what? I thought Christians were supposed to not have to struggle with, you know, vices and stuff anymore. I don't know. That's original sin. It kind of sticks with you. It does. And Luther, you know, to kind of combat against uh, this sinful nature, this Hyde, uh, Mr. Hyde, under the surface, he encourages people to make the sign of the cross every time you get out of bed in the morning and to remember who you are as a child of God, that you've been baptized, that your old sinful self was drowned through your baptism and tied to Christ's death. And just as Christ rose again from the dead, you rise to new life every day and remember who you are. Mr. Hyde, he's always there, just right under the surface. Kind of like uh, God warned Cain before he killed his brother Abel. Hey, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. Its desire is against you and wants to rule over you, and you must overcome it. Robert Louis Stevenson lived in the Victorian era, and this was a very Christianized culture, very Christian culture. I mean, there was this common understanding that God exists, that you ought to live by his laws and commands. If you wanted to be somebody in society, you were an active churchgoer. You were a person of good moral character. You avoided vices. You didn't visit the shady parts of town. And that was the expectation. If you were found out to be somebody of bad moral integrity, that would ruin your relationships, ruin your business, ruin your prospects of being uh, in, a, in society in a well-respected manner. That's not the world we live in anymore. That is not the world we live in anymore. In fact, the stuff that used to be forbidden and taboo and kept in the darkness and in the secret today, a lot of times, is not only tolerated, but celebrated and expected. And all these things that used to be forbidden are now brought to the light. And in fact, in our society, if you don't like accept a lot of these things, you're going to be pushed to the margin. So in many ways, things have totally changed since the Victorian era. I was talking to a friend of mine who's in sales at a pretty large company, and he was telling me about um, having to take some clients to Vegas uh, as part of his job. And he was describing me what that entails. And after he was done describing it, I said, there's no way I could do your job. There's no way. My conscience would forbid it. I had another uh, young man that I was talking to earlier this week who worked for a couple years at one of the largest corporations in our country. And he said he couldn't tolerate it. He couldn't take it anymore. 
uh, after a couple of years because of the activity that he saw going on in this company. It was demonic, he said. That's how he described it. It was demonic. It's like this company's not even after making money anymore, but something else. And I did not want anything to do with it. So yes, uh, the temptations abound in our world today, and it's a lot different than it used to be in some other time periods and some other places, uh, but some things stay the same. And that is the evil within you, within the human heart. We could get all worked up about pointing out the evil out there being done by other people and in the world, but at the end of the day, what really matters is in here. Jesus was constantly bringing his audience to, hey, check your heart. Take the log out of your own eye. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Jesus was always bringing it down to the individual level. Check your heart. Because it's the evil within that will drag you to hell. It's the sin that is not repented of. It is the unbelief that will bring you to despair. And we all have it. We all have our vices. We all have our things that we deal with. Lust, greed, malice, sloth, gluttony. We have these things that we deal with. We have sins of omission, sins of commission. We're called to speak the truth, and yet we cower in fear. There's things we ought not to do, and these are the things that we keep on doing. St. Paul writes, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's like, Lord, I, I love you, and I love your law, and I want to do what you will, but like a dog returning to its vomit, I keep on going back to my old ways. Can you sympathize with Paul here? If you can't, repent. Because, yeah, we all do. We all struggle with sin. How do I know that you struggle with sin? because you're going to die. And the wages of sin is death. This is what St. Paul is pointing us to here. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, St. Paul doesn't leave us hanging in this text, right? He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Believe it, church. Believe it. You have been redeemed by Christ. Sin has been defeated in Jesus' death. Satan has been vanquished through Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. And the last enemy to be defeated is death itself. And Jesus defeated death by rising from the dead, never to die again. And this work of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection is given to you. The benefits are for you, for your life, for your salvation, for your forgiveness. And when you were baptized into Christ, that old sinful self was drowned away and done away with, crucified with Christ. Just as he rose from the dead, you rise to new life. Resurrection life is yours now.
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have been baptized are in Christ Jesus. You're his. You belong to him. Resurrection life is yours. And not yet. It's yours now, but not yet, right? Like, we still, we still got this thing, death, that looms. And Luther talked about how our baptism is finally completed when we die. Because this body of death has to be done away with. And that is done through our physical death. But that's not the end. Because then we get the incorruptible body. In the new creation, in the new heavens, and the new earth, when Christ returns, all the dead will be raised, and thus those of us who believe will be given new bodies, not susceptible to decay and sin, in eternal life with Christ. And that's something to get really excited about. Now I know uh, a lot of us, and I have counseled many of us who uh, struggle with this idea that I just need to do better and be better, and possibly God will accept me. And a lot of times it plays out underneath the surface. It's not a real conscious thing. And these individuals, they have these expectations of others, and they have this expectation of themselves, and they're constantly disappointed. And they just, they work, they work and work and work and work and work. If only I just do better and be better, then I can, you know, be accepted by God and other people. And they're almost always disappointed. Jesus says this in our gospel lesson, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. And yes, Jesus is inviting us to give us, give him his, our burdens, whatever, their psychological burdens, uh, physical burdens, uh, burdens that we have for other people, we give them all to Jesus. He carries them. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He can carry it all. But more so, in these words, Jesus is saying to those who are laboring to try to earn their salvation, whether they're despairing in their sin or they're so prideful they don't even know they have it, he says, come. You who are weary from carrying that burden of trying to earn your righteousness, put it down. Stop it. Rest. Because guess what? The work has already been done. The work has been done by Jesus and what he did on the cross. And I love this imagery. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I try to think of how to, how to look at this. Well, the yoke, of course, is for a beast of burden. And I imagine Jesus is, the, Jesus is the big ox doing most of the work, right? We're like the donkey, except I wanted like a, a kitty cat on the other end of the yoke here because that's more like how it is. Because Jesus is doing the work. He's doing the work for your justification and he's doing the work for your sanctification by his Holy Spirit. All you got to do is get out of the way. And Jesus will go plow the fields. So remember, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Now you don't have to have the life like Dr. Jekyll and his alter ego, Mr. Hyde. Because um, guess what? You're, you're defined by something else. You are in Christ now. And those burdens that you carry, those sins that you struggle with, you confess them, you give them to Jesus. They're not yours to carry. Remember who you are in Christ. Luther writes, The old man is infected with all vices and, and has by nature nothing good in him. Now when we have come into Christ's kingdom, these things must daily decrease. 
The longer we live, the more we become gentle, patient, meek, and never turn away from unbelief, greed, hatred, envy, and arrogance. And so once we know who we are in Christ, that we are redeemed and loved by God and have the eternity waiting for us, then we joyfully, not out of duty to God, but out of love for God and our neighbor, we grow in the fruits of the Spirit. We grow to love God's ways more than the ways of the world and our sinful flesh. All the while knowing we're not going to overcome it completely, but in the end, we will have victory through Christ Jesus who won that for us. Amen.